Unsexy Business with Jamie Waller. Hi, this is Jamie Waller and welcome to my new series of podcasts called Unsexy Business. The podcast ties in with the release of my new book of the same name, details on that later. In this series, I'll be talking to a range of business owners and entrepreneurs. This isn't about Silicon Valley style corporations or the latest tech initiative. This is about traditional business models, thoughts and plans that could easily have begun in a pub or your own garden shed. Simple ideas that have become multi-million pound companies. It's these stories that interest me. From plumbers to parking, penny suites to second-hand cars, I'll be meeting the people behind some of Britain's most successful businesses. Welcome to Unsexy Business. My guest this week is Matt Story, the founder of MM Supplies, the brokerage company specialising in managing inventory for the fast-moving consumer goods industry. Matt began his career at just 12 years old when him and his brother joined their father selling sweets from the boot of the family Skoda at local markets. The company eventually moved into wholesale, which in turn morphed into M&M Supplies. I began by asking Matt about his own backstory and how starting on the markets led to such great success. I'm 44 now. I was, when I was 12 years old, uh, my, dad, um, my dad was working at London Brick, uh, making bricks. He was driving the forklift into the kilns and putting the bricks in and stuff. And uh, they they come up with voluntary voluntary redundancy, and um, so he he took that, and his mortgage on his house was nearly paid off and everything. So he, my dad at, the, at that stage was fifty two, and, um, and and he sort of said, well, what can I do? And he wanted to do the markets market stalls with something, and he sort of looked around and he thought, well, what sells, you know? And and he's well, people have always got to eat, so he, he started in sweets and food, and and went from there. So from the age of twelve to um, well, from the age of 12 onwards, I was helping my dad at any spare time I could. So at weekends, at any stage I could, I, I would be helping, you know. So I remember the first day that my dad went buying to get to find sweets to sell as such, um, we didn't know where to buy from. So we drove all the way up to Manchester to, you know, to, um, to find a wholesaler up there. And that's where we brought our sweets from as such. And I always wanted to earn money. I always wanted to do something. So part of me thinks that actually, no, but I do feel if my dad had not started, I feel that that's a, um, an inter- interesting part. You know, on one of our markets, on a Sunday market we done, um, my dad then uh, sort of opened up another store selling fudge and stuff that you sort of chop up for the customer as they as they come up and such. And so I run that for my dad from the age of about fourteen uh, for a year or so. So I was doing that sort of on my own as well and. Um, and we was doing that, and that was all going well. But then I, I got to the age of 15, and um, sort of um, I, I thought to myself, God, you know, what am I doing at school sort of thing? I'm not really achieving anything as such, and I know what I want to do. I'd, I'd saved up money from what my dad had then been paying me as such. I saved up the, uh, my own money, and so I started in the markets on my own, basically, at the age of 15. And my dad uh, lent me one of his old vans, so I had that and um, I, I sort of went to a local market, Bletchley Market, and um, sort of started trading. Well, interestingly, I did start selling jumpers to start with, uh, but that wasn't very good and we couldn't get the right supply. We, we were just buying them off another market trader on a, another market in bulk. And a, a friend of mine, me and a friend of mine was doing it and, uh, and it didn't really take off and we were sort of... You know, so we tried that, but that wasn't very good. So then I, um, yes, yeah, so I, I started selling sweets uh, on the store. The difference what I'd done to what my dad was doing, my dad was doing a lot more groceries and a lot more, um, you know, a very sort of varied range. 
where at first I just, I just picked out a, one of the fastest selling lines, which was chocolate bars. And in those days, we'd, we'd sell six chocolate bars for a pound, and we'd have a really big sort of range of all maybe 50 different types and such that was all, um, they were clearance products that might be short dated or change your packaging, and we'd be buying them for those reasons. So, and I would literally go to a market and set my stall up with just those products on, probably taking um, very roughly maybe 800 pounds a day and, you know, and stuff. So I was, I was you know, it was, it was, um, I was probably maybe earning maybe 70 pounds a day or something like that from it and, and going from there. But then I uh, felt that, well, that's great doing that sort of weekends, just doing these chocolate bar lines and such. But during the week, the customer wants more selection and this sort of stuff. And um, so, yeah, all of that, you know, that's how I sort of what I was doing there. Then I, um, at the age of 17, I, brought a um, seven and a half ton lorry which was a lot of um, people in, in on the market they just you know that's just sort of a different league and they you get the odd person maybe the fruit and vegetable that would do that and, um, and you know and we sort of, and I've really sort of done it properly a proper you know full fit out stall you know really doing it well starting at sort of like four o'clock in the morning to get it all set up ready for sort of eight, eight o'clock half eight when the customers would come and and that really pushed everything forward so I think I, I was very ambitious and I was always very I think my dad had always brought me up to be very look you you know you've got to earn your money before you spend it you know you can't be back then it was all we don't go getting everything on finance you know you earn your money and then if you've got your money you can spend it and even then when you do spend it don't spend all of it you know save some and you've got to save for a rainy day so I think we was always sort of taught that and um, you know so I was always probably trying to I think all, all over the years I've always tried to make myself really secure and so that you haven't got to worry so you've got a nice income and, and you can go and do nice things and I think back then even that was what I was probably trying to do I could have just sort of said yeah that's great I'm earning a, a good wage here um, I was having to work a lot of hours so all of my friends for example they was almost like you know what are you doing why, why aren't you out with us on a Saturday night um, why are you working the markets on a Saturday and a Sunday and, and when you look at what I was probably earning per hour compared to what they were they were leagues above me you know because I was working crazy hours to you know to do what I, I was doing but I don't think it was ever really totally about the money it was about that you know we sort of enjoyed doing it it was you felt like you was achieving something it was great fun and everything when I was 17 my brother uh, Mark was a postman at that stage and uh, Mark uh, saw what I was doing, saw what my dad was doing and so Mark started on the markets as well and what Mark started selling was the pick and mix um, on, on a store so he had all the pick and mix containers specially made and, and just back then that was just when the pick and mix was starting off and so he'd done that on other markets and, and then quite um, and then he started selling the groceries and stuff that we were selling as well so and quite quickly from there we we saw that uh with with the, the markets mark had and markets i had we was doing about 16 market stalls a week between us we had uh, we had other people sort of working for us at that stage as well and um we said right let's uh, uh, mark and i said let's team up together because um, that'll give us better buying power and better prices and that's that's what we've done so that all happened quite quickly after mark uh, mark started so my dad was still on his home doing his markets at that stage and, and Mark and I was together. And um, the next sort of um, big jump then was for us that, that um, when I was about 19 years old, 
we, was, we saw that we was getting such good prices with the products we were buying that we said, actually, we could probably sell some of these products to other market traders. So let's say, for example, in those days, we was buying a Mars bar at 11 pence, let's say. We would maybe wholesale that onto another market trader at 11.5p. We found that was sort of quite interesting, and it was quite interesting what you could earn. And then we thought to ourselves, well, this actually, um, you know, you do an odd deal when you think, oh, we've earned X amount of money there. That's really good, you know, and we're standing on the market all day working really long hours. We're having to get back to the warehouse at night, load the van up at night and all this sort of stuff. And, and, and at this stage, I mean, originally we was working out of a farm unit to store our stuff. Then we um, moved into a 1,600-square-foot warehouse in a place called Fenny Stratford uh, in Bletchley, which we'd brought. And, uh, you know, at this stage, we said, right, um, let's start doing this wholesale properly. You're listening to Unsexy Business, and my guest this week is Matt Story, the founder and CEO of M&M Supplies. All that was going through our mind was, is that the wholesale was a lot easier than doing the markets. You know, when you're getting up at sort of four o'clock in the morning, when you're finishing at eight o'clock at night, the time you unloaded the van and reloaded it again, all this sort of stuff. We was doing that every day. So, and then, you know, when we was going to people, wholesalers we was buying off, we saw them there and, you know, they're just turning up at nine o'clock or whatever and, you know, and doing all this. And, you know, and we could see that there was, you know, that's a lot easier. So, you know, it was a target for us that, to me, if I could earn the same amount of money from, you know, um, that we was earning doing the markets by doing the wholesale, then that's great, you know, and that's, so that's what we were looking at. And I suppose at this stage, we had no intentions of finishing the markets or anything, you know, it was just, you know, just, I suppose, the next step, really. So all over the country, I mean, this was a one of the reasons why we did do so well because we was working so hard you know where the average market trader might just say right I'll go to London to um, there's, there's one wholesaler at the bottom of the M1 motorway we'll go in there and I'll buy all my stock from there you know we might go to six or seven different wholesalers all over the country because we know that there's different deals to be had from different ones and we pick out all the best products from each one and, um, and and that's what we'd be doing. So we'd work really hard. So you had, for example, this this market trader that might trade on a market, you know, in a different market to us, that that would only go to London. Maybe he was a bit lazy and only go to London. And we could say to him, well, you know, we we've actually got products here, and we can serve you, you know, products you're not getting from there, um, a good money, you know, and. And because a lot of the, the tar- our target market was quite local, they'd come to us because it was quite easy for them to do. And so we built up a good sort of um, customer base of local people, you know. So um, it was sort of a it was a sort of a no-brainer for them, really, you know. And because of our knowledge of product, then because we knew because we were still doing the markets on a Saturday, we could be quite bullish when we were selling to these people. We could say to them, look. You know, they'd say, oh, I'll take five cases of that. We'd say, no, that's crazy. We'd say, we sold 20 cases alone on Saturday market on our own. You know, five cases is not enough. You know, you, you, you know and you could be quite bullish with people. Obviously, you wouldn't want to sell them a duff line. You know, if you had a, a line that wasn't that quick, you'd be honest with them about it. And you would, you know, because you, you want them to come back and you want them to trust you. But we could push product onto people because of the knowledge that we had of how it would sell at that stage you know so I think that was a, a really good thing you know and hence why it was great to to keep the markets um you know the markets going at that stage as well but um yes yeah, so then getting back to the customer bit where we're selling to customers 
I was then um, doing less days on the market stalls and spending more time in the warehouse. Because at first, I think we just used to wholesale two days a week, but then I was doing that all, all of the week then. And so then I, what I was doing was, is I would um, spend time out on the road and I would literally drive into a, um, a town and I would see if they had a discount store in the town or a market stall. And I'd go up and see the people and I'd sort of tell them who we was and see if they wanted to buy stock. And I'd be getting customers like that and I'd be driving all over the place. I mean, I wouldn't just be local towns. It would be, you know, Portsmouth, Yorkshire, every, everywhere to Liverpool, you know. I just think it was the right thing to do. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we've got to do this or we've got to do that or we want to be this, want to be that. I always, I suppose I always wanted to be a millionaire that when I was very young. But I always knew I would be a millionaire because I was always very worked out that if I, you know, just from an age point of view, as long as I don't keep spending everything, I'm going to be one at a certain age and I've worked it out, well, it will take me X amount of years and such. But, you know, that was a goal, but I don't know why I really wanted that and why I, you know, but I don't really know what the, we just done it because it was the right thing to do. By the stage this was all happening, my brother was still doing his markets and he actually had the better market stalls than I had. So that was the right thing for him to do, um, to him to carry on those market stalls. Then it got to the stage where um, the wholesale was really sort of taking off. That Mark then stopped his markets as well and Mark then came on board. You know, it, we, was, we was proper business partners at that stage, but I was doing all of the wholesale side. So Mark then spent his week in the warehouse as well. And, um, and then we both sort of concentrated on pushing that forward. We kept everything very low profile. We named the, the business M&M Supplies um, because we didn't want to put, some, say, something sweets up or something like this because we didn't want people breaking in or stuff like this. So we just called it M&M Supplies. So it's a very nondescript, you know, and that stands obviously for Mark and Matt Supplies and very nondescript, very, you know, and that's how we was. We didn't want to... Um, be splashing about what we was doing or what we was earning or anything like that, you know. And then at that stage, I was um, I was getting sort of a nice route of customers up. So I was then getting customers all over the country. It was even getting to the stage then where some of the wholesalers that we'd been buying off in the early days, we was now serving with products, doing it really well. You know, we could get some good deals out there. We had good buying power and stuff, and uh, and it was all going really well. So. And I think at this stage we'd moved into a 6,000 square foot warehouse that we'd, um, that we'd brought just around the corner. Then, um, I think about that sort of time, my father then joined the business as well. So he, he sort of came in, so we was three, three equal partners then. Um, he was still doing market stores himself, you know, and we was doing all the wholesale side. But we was just, I, I, you know, it's just we was family, we didn't... Um, he was still working hard what he was doing there as such you know and I think at this stage as well um, my markets had probably been um, we'd sort of probably just got rid of those then because they weren't really as, as sort of significant now in the grand scheme of things but we still work Sunday, Saturday and Sunday markets each and stuff like this but we got to a stage where in that warehouse we was you know we was turning over good money turning over five million pounds a year and we're earning about half a million uh, pre-tax profits. So that was great, but the problem was, is we was working like dogs, we really was. We was, um, you know, still long hours. The warehouse was bursting at the seams. We was, um, stock was having to go out the warehouse every day, and we was having to put it out in the yard, and um, it was ridiculous. It was just, it just really hard work. So then uh, I was looking around for a bigger, bigger premises, um, struggling to find anything. 
think the, that middle warehouse we bought, the 6,000 square foot one, I think from memory we, we paid about £150,000 for that one. Um, 150 or maybe 250 something like that we paid for that one and then um, we was looking around for another warehouse bearing in mind we're in 6,000 square foot we wanted something we wouldn't grow out of couldn't really find everything and we wanted sort of an old um, an old warehouse because it's obviously a lot cheaper as such and um, cut a long story short we managed to find one in the end and it was literally just around the corner from our uh, middle one and it was 68,000 square feet so a real big big chunk and we brought that and we paid just over seven hundred thousand pounds for it and the i mean bearing in mind at this stage we was um, still partnership as well so of course the debt's all down with us and everything so um but we didn't really know about risk like i say you know we just didn't we just saw it as the right thing to do you know uh, like i say we was earning half a million pounds a year anyway and we wasn't we literally used to take hardly any wages i, I don't know the figure but it was we'd, we'd we wouldn't take hardly anything. Everything was getting ploughed back into the business. You know, we didn't have all the um, flash cars or anything like this and, and stuff. So, yeah, so that, that's... that's um, the, and we, we brought that um, warehouse. And so it's, it's the three of us now in business, uh, you know, my brother, my dad and myself. And uh, we moved over and we thought, you know, right, where do we sort of go from here? And quite quickly on, we said to ourselves, right, we need to go into a different league here. And what we'd seen was is that even though we was doing really well and we was doing a good amount of turnover, the people we was buying our products off at that stage then, it was one step higher than the wholesalers at that stage. We was buying off of what you would call the jobber, the guy above those as such. And we saw these jobbers, and the jobbers would buy, were buying off the manufacturers, basically. We saw these jobbers, and they were literally driving all these nice cars, Porsches, Ferraris, all this sort of stuff. They were working not many hours and they were earning really good money. And we sort of said, oh, something's wrong here. We should be, you know, we're working on basic margins, sort of 5%, 10%, you know, 15%, this sort of stuff. You were talking pennies, you know, we was earning pennies out of stuff rather than pounds. It was, you know, but um, so anyway, we, we said what we wanted, what we should be doing now, we're big enough to be able to be buying from these manufacturers ourselves. And that's what we wanted to do, and that's what we knew we needed to do because we were still working long hours. And so what we done was is we took on a we wanted to take on a buyer that had been in the industry that had worked for some of these other companies, um, like the, the, the jobber companies out there, that could show us how it was done basically and get us into these companies. And we put um, it, our, our trade paper was um, the Grocer magazine, and we put adverts in there every week. And, you know, this was, let's say, back in probably about 98 or so. And we, we, we even, it got to a stage where we even um, put adverts in at 100 grand a year salary and um, to get a bar on board. And we got this guy on, a guy called Fred Smith, and he'd worked for a, guy, a company called Healy's. And, um, and he was their sort of top buyer there a few years before. And anyway, he came on board and he got us into a lot of the manufacturers. You know, we was a bit more um, sort of, I don't know, Jack the Lad as such, you know. And we knew we could get a deal, you know, what we could do of a deal. But did they, did these manufacturers believe us in what we was, cause what we were saying? We knew we'd done everything properly as a business in the sense, you know, that we could, if we were saying we could buy 10 trucks of a product, we knew we could buy it and we could sell it. You know, but they, without, you know, they, they sort of didn't probably want to trust us and probably because of the way we was putting it across them. 
We went through a stage then where what was happening, because of all these jobbers we was buying off, saw what we was doing, overnight they pretty much stopped our supply and they didn't want to serve us anymore. Because, of course, we was anything, you know, if, if for example, they was offering us a parcel of, um, I don't know, Kit Kat, let's say, from Nestle, we'd be on the phone to Nestle and saying, oh, can we buy this? You know, Fredwood, you know, and stuff. So they, they literally cut off our supply overnight. So, um, and if we didn't have, if we hadn't of those previous years, um, you know, kept the reserves there, and, and if we'd have been spending all our money we'd been earning, we wouldn't have got through that period. You know, it was a very tough it was only the funny thing is actually and, and what is quite strange about all of this a lot of it happened very quickly so it was actually probably only a few months you know that it went a bit like that and it went very you know difficult but because then you know when we was getting product from these manufacturers they were seeing we was doing a great job of it and we was doing it properly you know we're, we're saying to them look we're not going to embarrass you we're going to put it into all the right areas this is what we can do they've given us a chance we was doing it properly and then we were sort of becoming the preferred supplier you know and it, when we you know as, as opposed to a lot of these other jobbers they'd be putting the products all over the place you know we we sort of showed them what we could do so that first year when fred came on board our profits went from half a million even though we had the problems at the beginning profits went from half a million to a million pound profit and it wasn't actually much more turnover but it was just that we was buying the products better getting a better margin we broke through that and we broke into that buying from manufacturers and there's various other companies in our trade that done exactly what we tried to do back in that that day i remember one company in particular and they just couldn't do it and they had to reverse and go back to buying off the jobbers so we made that when we we made that break the business then wanted to push forward even more and you know and, and mark and i could see that um that was great what fred was doing but actually if we'd done it slightly different and we'd done this or we'd done that you know actually we could um you know we could increase it and we could you know could do better and we we took on um we took on a sales guy um again another one from a it, it was out of the industry from another one of the jobber competitors as such and then we took on um, another, I think it was another, uh, another buyer, or it might have been two buyers. Well, we did, we took on two more buyers as well, you know, and stuff, and really sort of pushing forward. And that really pushed Fred's nose out of joint as such. So, um, and it got to, I, I, I can't remember how long Fred was with us, maybe a couple of years or so, but then it was just right that we parted company and, you know, Fred wasn't the right person to go to the next level and, and we had these other guys on. And around about this time as well, we'd had... The industry had gone through a funny stage, and there was there was lots of people we were serving. Bearing in mind at this stage, we were serving a lot of market traders and a lot of small wholesalers and all this sort of stuff. And we um, we what, this one particular year um, we we built up. We had a lot of bad debts, and um, I think it was in two thousand and one. And also, one thing that we'd done was buying chocolate bars from a company in Holland, and we'd done a um, a letter of credit. Um, for this company, we said, right, um, we, we were committed to buying half a million pounds worth of stock off them, I think it was, and we'd done them a letter of credit so that they could go and get finance against that to build the stock for us. Now, we knew the company was in financial problem. About 250 grand worth of stock come in, and then the company went skin, and there's this 250 grand still got to be paid. And it went out the bank account. 
one day, you know, and, and lucky enough, we've got enough in there to cover as such, but it would come out the bank. And I sort of phoned him up, and I remember the conversation, you know, now, and I sort of said, well, why have you taken that money out? You know, that's, we, haven't had, we haven't had the stock. Which basically means, is even if containers do turn up, if they've just got nothing in them, or if they don't turn up at all, you have got to pay that money. So we had the bad debts, we had that as a bad debt. We had all of the bad debts from lots of customers going skin on us as well that year. So we had lots of, lots of issues there. So at that stage, my dad, um, he, he sort of said, look, I don't want to be part of this no more. He said, I feel like I'm, I'm going to hold you back and stuff. So um, my dad said, look, I'm going to leave the business. So my dad um, said he didn't want to sort of carry on as such in that sense. My dad, what my dad did do then was um, he then we, um, we, we it was at that stage that we, we um, put the company uh, into a limited company my dad what we done then is we put my dad on quite a good wage really and, and my dad then worked for the business and, and that was what he wanted to, to do as such and, we, and um, he's still on that wage my dad's 84 now and he's still on a, on a really good wage now he, do, he does bits in the business but not too much and, you know, and that's great for him and it's great that we can do that for him as well so that's, that's you know it's all really good and, and so yeah, we put it into a limited company, and um, and then sort of, sort of, you know, went forward from there. Really. Don't forget, there are eleven business leaders in this series, all with different stories about how they took a very simple idea and transformed it into a multi-million-pound success. Sometimes traditional thinking really does pay. All of the interviews featured in Unsexy Business are also featured in my new book of the same name. There you can read the more in-depth stories behind these entrepreneurs and their impressive journeys to success. There's also one or two anecdotes that we couldn't possibly put into the podcast, along with hundreds of tips on how you can start and build a successful business too. If you get over to Amazon, you can buy a hard copy or digital version of Unsexy Business now. It is also for sale in most major bookshops, including Waterstones and WH Smith. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, then please subscribe on your podcast app. This means that you'll get each new episode automatically. Do join me next time, and until then, goodbye.